Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending where you are in the world. This is Tracy Murda on behalf of Richard Jacobs at Future Tech Podcast. Today I have an exciting guest with me. I have Gavin Smith, the CEO of First Global Credit. Of course, First Global Credit is the world's first finance company that brings the profit opportunities existing in mainstream markets within the reach of digital currency holders. Gavin, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, hi, um, hi, Tracy. Thank you for um, thank you for inviting me. Well, let's just jump in, Gavin. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got started with First uh, Global Credit? Sure. Um, well, my background um, originally was um, within finance, and I spent about 25 years prior to First Global Credit um, involved in financial markets, um, both as a trader and middle office. Um, so, covered the broad spectrum of finance. Um, I wasn't involved in cryptocurrency directly until I met some, some friends of mine that had been um, more on the technical side, and they'd got involved quite early on, and they told me about this um, about Bitcoin, um, something which I'd heard about but didn't really know much um, much of the details. And anyway, we got talking, and they had been mining for a while and had built up um, a pool of Bitcoin, and they were looking for a way to. Um, to really make a return on that, because um, the only way at that time, and um, we're talking now 2014, so it was uh, post-Mount Gox, um, before there was much um, variety in the ecosystem, so the only thing you could really do was, um, was trade uh, those Bitcoins. So we, we threw around some ideas um, about how they could use the value in those Bitcoins to make a return if they weren't active traders. And what we came up with was, um, was really, I've, I've always been active in trading. So we came up with a very informal arrangement where um, I put on stock trades for them that they wanted to do. They told me what they wanted to do, secured by, um, secured by Bitcoins, and, um, and I would essentially finance the position. And we did it almost, I don't want to say for fun, but it was, um, it was very informal, um, the process. And it worked quite well. They liked it. And from that, we really grew the idea and, and looked at how we could um, really package that into a company with a much broader range of products that we, um, we could offer to our customers. That was really the foundation of, um, of the company and how we got started. So obviously, um, as time has gone on, that's, um, the, the idea around that has grown. But, um, but yeah, that was the starting point in stocks and um, how we could get in, um, in people invested in stocks. So tell us a little bit about First Global Credit just in terms of the platform and, and how it works. Sure. Um, the whole principle behind the platform is we're, we're a cryptocurrency-based company. So um, we provide facility for people who hold cryptocurrency, as we said, to make investments. So we're not looking to compete directly with the traditional brokers. But the value proposition we offer to our customers is that most of our customers are people that believe in the long-term potential of the cryptocurrency. So they want to keep the economic value. Um, so the, the platform allows them to place their Bitcoin on the platform as collateral. 
the key element here is they don't need to sell those bitcoins to get involved in trading stocks. They're there purely as security. We, once they've deposited those, we do need to go through a KYC process because obviously one part of what we do is in the regulated markets. So the customers need to um, K, um, perform a full KYC check. Once they've done that, um, on an online platform, they can very easily place, um, place trades to buy and sell shares. Um, currently, most of the uh, shares that we offer in the U.S., but we're broadening that to include um, global markets. So we're including Hong Kong in a few weeks. And the whole idea is to really extend the range of possibilities open to people. But, um, but the platform itself and the way to use it, we've tried to keep very, very simple. So literally, you deposit your Bitcoins. They're held in secure storage. And we then finance stock positions. You place that through an online interface. Buy and sell the stocks you're interested in, any dividends you receive, and any profit you make when you sell those shares, we then sweep back into Bitcoins, and those Bitcoins are credited to your account. So the whole um, principle behind it is you're earning, um, we give the facility to earn a return on those Bitcoins, but you don't need to um, sell the Bitcoins to, to take advantage of the service. So Gavin, if you don't mind, I'd like to talk just a about some of the basics of Bitcoin itself for those of us who are maybe, you know, just entering into this really evolving world. What, okay, where does it stand right now in terms of Bitcoin becoming a full-fledged currency? Um, this, <laughs> that's actually a very big question. Um, different people have a different view. Our view within the company is very much it is a current, it is, it is a, true, a true currency, excuse me. Um, it's certainly a store of value. Now, when we use the term currency, we're not using the term legal tender, which obviously has its own characteristics. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where some people, um, people do get, um, it, it murkies the water. So it's a currency, not legal tender. But um, it's, I would classify it as a very volatile emerging currency. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and try and pretend this is a, a stable currency which um, with low volatility, it's not. It still has volatility, um, and we've seen that um, in, recent, in recent months. Um, we moved up from um, $700 up to a high of $1,100 in something like six weeks, and then back down to um, $800 within another week, and now we're at $900. Mm -hmm. So you can see from that that it's, um, it's, uh, it's still quite, quite a lot of volatility in that marketplace. But um, the key thing from our perspective is that Bitcoin and other uh, public blockchain cryptocurrencies, they offer real, um, real benefits, um, I want to put it that way, that other currencies don't offer. For instance, um, and certainly I'm talking about Bitcoin specifically now, um, it's not controlled by any single entity or single government. Now that has, there's two plus and minus to that. Obviously, the negative is it's not backed by any government. But the positive side of that is you don't get the inflationary bias that you tend to get with traditional currencies. So it, the, in the long-term um, behavior of the currency is more akin to something like gold, where there's a store of value in there. Um, it's not possible for um, people to simply print more Bitcoins. They can mine more Bitcoins within the, within the um, 
structure that's been created up to a total um, of 21 million, which is the most bitcoins that will ever be issued. But it's not possible for any entity to simply say, okay, we're now going to double the number of bitcoins in issue and flood the market. So that, um, that provides real benefits that you don't see with a, with a traditional fiat currency. Oh, sure, absolutely. So are there some compliance issues that are still surrounding the Bitcoin industry? Yeah, definitely. I mean, we were, we were actually one of the first um, companies to, to need to face that because, um, as I said, we've got one, one foot in the um, traditional financial marketplace. So we, from day one, followed full, um, full KYC, full AML um, requirements. Um, the actual regulation is now starting to catch up with that, if that makes sense, for Bitcoin exchanges in general. So most of the, most of the industry participants now will do KYC. Um, most jurisdictions are keeping a fairly light touch um, view of Bitcoin at the moment. I think they want to see how the market develops. Um, they want to see the market, how the benefit case unfolds. And there are some real, um, real benefit cases that I'll come on to later, which, um, which excites us as a company, where there are benefits intrinsic to the blockchain, uh, Bitcoin blockchain, that you can't mm-hmm. get with other currencies in terms of um, counterparty risk and, and how that's managed. So I think um, a lot of regulators are taking, at the moment, quite a light-touch light um, view of, the, um, of regulation and allowing the companies to evolve and, um, and just using existing financial regulations um, where they're appropriate. So as I said, KYC, AML, also segregation of customer funds and um, the usual things you would expect to see with, um, with a more traditional marketplace. So are there some things that First Global Credit is doing to reduce uh, risks and you know, especially the counterparty risk thing? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things which, um, which we're working on at the moment is um, not currently released, so I can't go into detail, too much detail mm-hmm. on the technology, but I can give detail of the, um, the concepts, and we will actually be in a position to release this in about, in about six weeks. But, um, one of the things that has um, frustrated me, I guess, um, <laughs> about the Bitcoin industry, and our company is exactly the same in this, that we have all adopted the traditional broker um, paradigm, which is our customers deposit money with us. We then hold that hold that um, cryptocurrency, and we allow them to trade on our platform. Now, obviously, that's great for the broker, and it's great for the banks who also have the same model because they get to use that money. Um, but cryptocurrency actually allows you to um, to go down a different path. It allows a paradigm where the customer still keeps control of their assets, where um, uh, you, uh, obviously um, there have been a number of instances of Bitcoin companies and traditional companies um, losing customer funds. And the ones that spring to mind, obviously Mt. Gox is the one everyone's heard of. We mm-hmm. had Bitfinex in the cryptocurrency um, field um, about uh, three months ago where they were hacked and customer funds were lost. Um, on the traditional finance side, you get a similar thing with um, NS Global, um, who lost large amounts of money um, pre the financial crisis, and then obviously Lehman's during the financial crisis. So this is not something that's unique to cryptocurrency, but it is something that's in the forefront um, in the cryptocurrency field. And by using 
the technology within the blockchain, the multi-sig technology and smart contracts, it's actually possible for um, exchanges to move beyond the existing financial paradigm and to give people control of their assets. So even if the exchange is compromised, um, as Bitfinex was, the customer funds are still secure because it requires the customer's, um, uh, let's say, agreement to release those funds. Um, so they would explicitly need to sign the transaction. And that's something which, um, which we are working quite heavily towards because we believe that that's something that is necessary for the cryptocurrency market to evolve. But also, it's, some, it's a really exciting development that allows us not just to catch up with the existing financial marketplace, but actually leapfrog them and, and offer a better level of protection for customers than traditional banks can offer. Because you're no longer um, dependent on an insur um, a government-backed insurance policy or, um, or regulation. It's actually secured in the technology itself so that the funds cannot be released without the customer explicitly signing that transaction. So that's something which we're working towards, and um, the first product we're, we're able to offer in that field we're, um, we'll be offering in about six weeks' time. So that's something that's quite exciting from my perspective. Oh, wow. I can't wait to hear. So let's talk about some of the more positive things. So when it comes to the benefits of what First Global you know, Credit is doing with, you know, for stock trading markets. What is the benefit of Bitcoin for anyone? Um, I think in many ways, we started off with the, um, with the premise that we wanted, to, um, we wanted to give people who held cryptocurrency um, the same range of um, options that um, the people hold traditional currency. So we, we use stocks as our first product because it's something that people are familiar with. But the, um, the longer term goal is to allow people to invest in stocks, invest in bonds, make loans, um, invest in property if they, if they want to invest in funds, all using the, um, the public blockchain, the Bitcoin blockchain, as the rails for execution. And where that, what has become clear while we've been offering this product is that Yes, there are benefits for people who want to hold cryptocurrency, but what we found is it's also a really um, convenient, effective way for people um, who don't have immediate, easy access to traditional financial markets to actually gain that access. So we've got a lot of customers um, which we built up in the developing world, in, in Latin America, in Africa, um, in Southeast Asia. But for them, access to... Um, to stock global, the global stock markets is really expensive. It tends to be confined to the, um, the more wealthy in those regions, and it's quite a high um, entry level for them to get, get access to those markets. By using Bitcoin Rails effectively as an as a entry point for them to get onto um, the investment, um, the investment into the investment arena, it allows them to um, participate in global markets in a way that they, they haven't been able to before. So that's really um, something else that um, was quite surprised to me. It was an unexpected benefit that we found when we started offering the service that um, it was a way for people that didn't otherwise have access to those markets to, to gain that access. And speaking to, um, to various people um, around the world, that's where actually we see a large part of our future growth coming from because, um, because people love the idea. It's, it's, uh, it's something new and something available for them. 
Gavin, what industries do you think are going to be benefiting the most from the technology and the advancements of Bitcoin? Um, from, from our perspective, obviously our, our, our focus is very much finance. Um, that's, where, um, that's where my background is. That's where um, we, we are focused on. However, the, the actual blockchain technology can be used for any, any activity, any, any activity where two participants want to transact business but don't necessarily have full trust in, in the other person paying or delivering. So, I mean, I, I can't mention the company, but it's a company I've previously worked with in the commodity field. Um, we're, looking at, um, we're looking at ways that we can use the Bitcoin blockchain as a, um, in, in physical commodity trading, there's, there's a large amount of trust between the counterparties. And some of these parties are, um, are small mining companies. They're not the big, um, big conglomerates. So there's, um, there's a, a, a high level of um, risk doing business with them. Using the blockchain, what you can do is actually put in place a way to secure the financial risk on a contract without it being too onerous on both parties. Because unlike a traditional finance deal through a bank, you don't need to finance the full value of the commodity. You just need to finance the, the margin, in effect, just like you would on a futures contract. So it allows um, industries that otherwise rely on bank lines of credit to secure financing for large value items to do business with one another without needing that finance in place in advance because the risk is covered by blockchain. That's one example. Um, you can also, uh, another um, area I've seen it used, which, um, which is fascinating. I mean, this, this is not my idea by any means. Um, it was a, a conference I was at, and one of the big German um, power companies, RWE, are using, um, Bitcoin, uh, using cryptocurrency as rails for, um, for people who, who um, generate their own electricity sell it in their local community and they use cryptocurrency to do micropayments between between the seller and the buyer of that um, that locally generated electricity um, and it's all done automatically and and that that gives you an idea of the the range of um, industries that could benefit from this you know it's everything from large ticket items as I said on the commodity field right the way through to micropayments for for small local communities to transact business so it really does, um, it provides a way for um, geographically um, remote people to do business without needing to trust one another and not needing a um, bank, in, bank in between. Sorry, I've got a fabulous No problem. That is absolutely incredible. So really, I mean, do you see that, you know, maybe sometime down the line, this is something that just about anybody will be able to maybe use? Absolutely, and and that actually, uh, I believe, is the key to making um, Bitcoin successful. Because um, one of one of the things that has held it back from general acceptance, which I fully understand, is it's it's quite daunting for a newcomer to look at it and and understand how they can buy Bitcoins, how they can store those Bitcoins, how they transact business. Because the first thing in m most um, documentation you'll read. They start talking about private keys, public keys, um, protection of keys, hashing algorithms. Um, and for most people, they can read this and think, yeah, this is too technical for me. <laughs> and 
the, the key to moving Bitcoin forward is really to make a layer underneath the surface that people don't need to care about. You know, people, people are using it. It's, it's part of what they do, but they're not even aware what, um, that they're using it. I mean, we've, there's a company which um, we've been looking at that they're, they're doing exactly this for um, remittances to Africa. And what they do is um, the deposit is made into one, in one country. It's withdrawn in cash in another country. And there's a Bitcoin layer between the two, but the two participants aren't really aware of it. It's just the technology they use to transfer the funds from point A to point B. So that's, how, that's where I think the real growth for Bitcoin is going to come, from applications and services that people aren't really aware what they're, what, that they're using it. And that then will allow the acceptance to develop until people become comfortable with the technology and comfortable with the terminology and will start to use it explicitly as a currency in its own right. I suppose it's could be even similar to something as simple as, as, you know, the iPhone or any of those applications, you know, 10, 15 years ago, we wouldn't have even dreamed of the things we can do now. I, I get the sense you almost have to throw out what your idea of currency and, and those types of things, you know, the traditional things is and kind of wrap your head around what this new absolutely Bitcoin could be. It's it's exactly that. It's, it's almost a way of, um, of allowing people to barter without needing to be face-to-face because there's a store of value that you can transfer very, very easily and very securely between party A and party B. Um, so it's, it is, it's a medium of exchange, simple as that. It's what um, currency traditionally was, um, a store of value before sure. it became um, what it is in the modern world with, um, with central banks and, um, and banks able to, um, to do fractional, fractional reserve banking and, and things like that. So it, it keeps people in control of their assets, which is what I find so attractive. This might be just a, a, a silly question, but I'm, I'm just curious. What do you think, let's say Bitcoin you know, takes off and it really is the success that we all hope it will be. What effect is that going to have on our traditional banking systems? Um, I think, well, firstly, I, I'm not, um, I think it will be a long time before, before right. Bitcoin or any, any, any cryptocurrency replace traditional currency. I think, it, I think for... Certainly, um, in my foreseeable future, it's um, it's an additional um, medium of exchange. But for banks that want to enter the cryptocurrency field, I'm talking about specifically public mm-hmm. uh, blockchain cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, because a number of central banks are looking at issuing their own central bank coins, um, which, like traditional currency, they would be able to effectively mint more of. So that, that's a bit different. And, I'll, I'll, and that's all down to the way the banking system works. Because with, um, with traditional currency, obviously a bank, if it has a liquidity shortfall, can borrow from the central bank. And that's, that allows them to lend out most of what they, um, most of what they have on deposit, they lend out. Um, that's how they make their money. And if there's mm-hmm. a liquidity shortfall, they can borrow from the central bank. Obviously with Bitcoin, that isn't possible. There is no one central bank able to just um, distribute more and more funds. Right. So banks would need banks to adopt cryptocurrency for that part of their business would need to go back to a more traditional banking model, where um, where they're genuinely custodians of people's people's assets, 
where their job is actually to keep those assets safe and secure and give the um, customer easy access easy access to those funds. Um, at the moment, you're seeing, seeing some companies, um, non-banking entities, offering that type of service. I mean, one, um, one is Zappo, where it's, they just make it very easy for people to use Bitcoin. Um, and I see banks moving into that area, but it's, they're going to have to change their model. The way mm-hmm. I see banking moving to is, is very much, a, as I said, a genuine custodian and also a liquidity provider. So that they, um, because they're still going to be the largest um, holders of assets, so they will be adding liquidity to the market, but they won't be able to take the same leveraged, um, I don't want to use the word bets because there's more to it than that, but leveraged positions in marketplaces, which um, which we know has caused problems um, various times over the last 20 years, but obviously 2008 being the most, most recent one. If you don't mind, I'd like to switch gears just a little bit here and talk about what happened in China last week. Um, mm-hmm. You know, wh- what is it that actually occurred, and how might that affect things, or is it going to affect things on a global level for everyone else? Sure. Um, one of the one of the reasons, well, historically, one of the reasons that um, Chinese chump, Chinese people, excuse me, have been um, very attracted to Bitcoin is it's um, it's a very they were able to trade Bitcoin without being KYC'd, but without being um, identity checked. And um, it's one of the few places in China where you could um, you could do that and not have to give full details to um, to a company. Now, obviously, that changed last weekend, and I'll, um, I'll come to that in, in a bit more detail. But historic. Um, Historically, I mean, Bitcoin's been around for such a short period of time, but in the, historically in the life of Bitcoin, China has been one of the, um, the major holders and the major miners of Bitcoin. And that's one of the, um, one of the reasons, because it's a, very, um, it's a very free form of um, capital, which, um, which is not under government control. Now, last week, as you say, the, um, the uh, PDOC basically sent out an open letter to all of the Bitcoin exchanges um, so giving notice that they were now uh, now being watched, and essentially they've been told you have to KYC and AML all your customers. Um, one of the things that um, has always been attractive to Chinese um, individuals about Bitcoin is how easy it is for them to move assets overseas. Some of the exchanges were promoting that as a, as a way for Chinese people to move their assets out of China. Um, they've been explicitly told not to um, not to use that as a, as a marketing message. And the other thing which they have started to clamp down on is um, the interest rates that the Chinese exchanges can offer to Chinese citizens. Now, while I understand why they're doing it, because um, the, the yuan's under a lot of pressure and they they're trying to um, disincentivize, I guess is the word, um, people from switching out of their domestic currency into Bitcoin. I think it's a very difficult um, a very difficult thing for them to impose because even if the Chinese exchanges follow all of those rules um, to the letter, it's very, very easy for a Chinese individual to, um, to exchange the Bitcoin. Once it's in Bitcoin, they can send it to, very easily send it to an exchange outside of China. So it's one of those things that um, I think China is struggling with the government 
um, a currency that um, is very easy for people to move into and um, allows them to free access to global markets anywhere. So I think um, I think that there there will be more um, more announcements coming out of China over the next few weeks as um, as that that story unfolds. In terms of the price action, um, while the Chinese government um, action was given as a reason for the um, for the fall from 1100. I actually think the market was overdue for a correction anyway. It, it had gone up from um, low 700s to 1100 very, very quickly. So um, it wasn't surprising to see the market take a breather and, um, and come back a bit. So while that may have been the catalyst that triggered it, I don't think it was a cause. And I don't think it will have a long-term effect on the, um, on the price of Bitcoin moving forward. So tell me about what is in store, what you can talk about anyway, uh, when it comes to First Global Credit's plans for the future. Okay. Um, well, obviously, there's, um, there's the expansion into other markets, but um, specifically around counterparty risk, um, we see our long-term growth. So now I'm talking over um, a period of um, a couple, two to three years rather than two to three months. The, the technology we're developing around eliminating counterparty risk um, for holders, holders of cryptocurrency to trade assets. Um, we're looking at ways we can actually take that and apply it to general markets. So um, the, the long-term vision that I have, if you imagine a marketplace where not trading cryptocurrencies, trading stocks, trading um, currencies, trading any, any asset type where you can have individuals able to trade with one another. There's no counterparty risk because the transaction takes place across both elements um, at the same time with the same, with the same um, contract, uh, te uh, technology contract. The transaction happens. <coughs> Excuse me. And the way I see the market developing, rather than the traditional hub and spoke model we have now, where brokers and banks have customers, the customers trade with the broker and bank, the broker and banks trade with one another or through an exchange, everyone taking a piece, a, a fee on that transaction. Instead, you've got a, a network of individuals trading with one another and trading with banks. Um, banks, as I said, will still be the, the biggest players in town, so will be liquidity providers, but they won't have a monopoly on holding those, executing those transactions. And the reason is that underlying technology will manage that counterparty risk. And that's, um, that's, that, for me, is where the growth of our company um, comes, um, comes from in the next two to three years. The ability to take that model and move it into the traditional financial sphere actually allow people that don't care about Bitcoin, don't want to trade Bitcoin, but to transact business in a way that is risk-free and cheaper. And that's, that's where I, I see the benefits of Bitcoin and the, um, the growth of our company coming from. Love it. Gavin, you'll, you'll probably get a kick out of this. It's like we've become a real uh, talk show here, radio show. I've got Rich texting me, asking me questions that he wants to know answers to. <laughs> so I'm just going to read from my phone right here. So he, Rich sure. is asking about uh, the Winklevoss twins and their, their Bitcoin ETF, if there's uh, any info or input that you can add to that. Um, ETFs, I think, are a great... Um, a great way way to get the 
technology and the currency in front of the general public. Um, I don't know the, um, the SEC process well enough to be able to comment mm -hmm. on the likelihood of success. Um, to me, it seems to have gone on a very long time, but um, I, hope, I hope the SEC, from what I've read, the SEC are concerned because it's a technology they don't understand, they don't understand the risks. Um, while they're absolutely right to, um, to make sure that everything is in place and everything is secure, it would be really good to see um, a Bitcoin ETF launched on the marketplace. Um, some pe as I said, looking at Bitcoins, some people look at it and think this is too technical for me, but I would like to get involved. Um, it, the more people can get involved through a regulated um, and secure um, vehicle or entity, I think it's um, I think it's positive for the industry. So um, so I hope that um, their um, their ETF or one of the, um, there's uh, sorry I forget the company, but there's another one that's also um, trying to be launched. It would be good to see one or both actually get approval from the SEC. In his other question was if there are any other cryptocurrencies that you think were will trade like Dash or Litecoin. Um, we we take, we accept the major ones, so we'll we'll mm -hmm. accept Ether, Ether Classic, um, Bitcoin. Um, we'll also accept Litecoin. Um, we believe that Bitcoin will be the gold standard. Um, Ether has got a slightly different use case in the sense that um, it's it's geared towards smart contracts. So its its value as a as a token, while necessary, is almost secondary, whereas Bitcoin is much more about the currency as well as what you can do with it. So, but um, I think certainly in the, in the near future, you're going to see these, um, these different um, cryptocurrencies, each with their own benefit case, um, evolving as markets. I think, I think, personally, it will narrow down to probably three or four maximum long term, each with a, each with a distinct flavor. I mean, for instance, Ether and Ether Classic, um, I don't see both of those surviving because um, they're very similar. And the, the difference in use case at the moment is, is very much around governance. Um, a lot of purists in the cryptocurrency space, and I'll admit I'm one of them, uh, didn't, didn't like the rolling back of the, um, of the chain. They felt that was um, breaking the, um, mm -hmm. the cryptocurrency model, which, which is a view I agree with. Um, but I think if they can overcome that governance issue, and um, and the big test for them is when they switch to proof of stake, whether that works or not, because that's that's a big untried. So um, from our perspective, we we monitor it, we allow customers to use it as collateral. We don't um, we don't none of our infrastructure, our crypto infrastructure, is ether based at the moment because um, to our to our mind, it's still too early. But yes, I do believe um, there's space for more than one cryptocurrency. I don't think it will just be Bitcoin and nothing else. Excellent. Well, this has been a true pleasure for me. You've just absolutely amazing, blown my mind, and, and really, you know, been able to break it down for the layman like myself who are, you know, just sort of dipping our toe into the Bitcoin industry. Is there any final thoughts that you'd like to offer our listeners before we we say adieu? Well, I think um, I think the 
the main the main thing I would say is I'd encourage people to to read up about it and find out about it. It's um, for me it was a real eye opener when I was introduced to Bitcoin, and um, I know more people are familiar with it um, with it now. But all I would say is don't don't read all the um, don't believe all the horror stories that it's only um, it's only used for nefarious purposes. There is a genuine ecosystem building up of um, of legitimate Bitcoin users now, and yeah, I'd encourage everyone to to go out read up about it. There's um, there's some good um, good pl- uh, reference sources on the, on the internet. Go out read about it and learn about it, and um, and yeah, buy some because hey, it's um, it's got the potential to um, be a very very good market in the future. Absolutely. Gavin Smith, CEO of First Global Credit. Gavin, thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to seeing what both you and First Global Credit are bringing to the Bitcoin table. Have a good one, Gavin. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.